This is Family Time 123, and we're talking about biases. This falls under the social awareness, SEL competency, but it's really about how we see everything, how we think, how we interact with the world around us. We're all impacted by biases, and those are those inherent thoughts, feelings, beliefs that we have about things, people around us. There are a lot of different types of biases. When we hear that word, we often think of prejudices, all the negative isms, ageism, racism, sexism, all those sorts of things that generally tend to be negative. Those are certainly a form of bias. But there are a lot of other biases that impact how we think and behave. There are explicit biases. Those are conscious biases where we realize that we have a bias there. And we may even recognize that it might not be logical or practical, but we understand that we have that bias. A simple one that I think of sometimes is preference to sports teams or certain groups like that. I'm a New York Yankees fan. Grew up a New York Yankees fan. Got my first Yankees hat the day I was born in the hospital. So because I'm a New York Yankees fan, I don't particularly like the Boston Red Sox. Do I have a real strong reason for that? No. Is it a conscious, explicit bias that I know I have? Absolutely. Because I I grew up liking the Yankees, big rivalries, the Red Sox. I don't like the Red Sox. We do that all the time with sports teams and any time that we group up. We do it with political identities, those sorts of things. To some extent, that's not always bad, depending on how far we take it. Is it really a bad thing if I like to root for the Yankees and against the Red Sox? Not really. Especially when... I like the Yankees to beat the Red Sox, but if they lose, it doesn't really impact the rest of my day. It does become dangerous when our biases are really controlling how we think and behave. Because we're giving up some of the power that we have over our own thoughts and emotions. That's something we see a lot of in the political landscape where people form into these groups, and then it's a lot of anger and viscera thrown at the other side. And we have to recognize that a lot of our grouping up is based on biases. It's based on things that we've been exposed to and and thoughts we maybe don't even know that we have, or or things that have influenced us that we don't really recognize. That can become dangerous. That can become the problem that we do have in the political landscape, is we group up because there is a sense of security in groups, a sense of belonging, and those are things we all need. But then we're, we're willing to let, we're willing to feed other biases and ignore some of the 
practical thought, the logical thought that could help us open up our minds and learn things and grow. There are also implicit biases. Implicit biases are unconscious. And they manifest themselves in ways that we don't always recognize. We don't really, we don't really understand how we're being impacted by those sorts of biases. And I think it's, it's really important for us to take some time to look at the biases we may have, explicit or implicit, and think about how those biases impact our thoughts, our feelings, our behaviors, how we interact with each other, how we interact with the world. When we can do that, we can take steps to change the way that we think and behave in a beneficial way and to just be more open and tolerant and empathetic towards other people. There are many different biases. I'm going to highlight a few that are pretty prevalent, pretty common, that impact us a lot in our day-to-day lives that you may not be aware of. So we're going to have a little conversation about that. And while we're doing that, I want you to think about what biases you may have in these different areas. And recognize it's okay to admit that we have biases. We all have biases. We're all impacted by these things. And the first step to maybe overcoming a negative bias or a bias that is keeping us from growing in the way we would like is to identify it. The first bias we're going to talk about is actor-observer bias. This happens a lot. It's basically, if we're the actor, okay, we're the person doing a task, or we're observing someone else doing a task, we will have a bias toward our performance. Meaning, let's say we're, we're trying to accomplish something, we're trying to complete a task, And it doesn't go very well for us. We often are more likely to blame the situation or blame outside factors for our failures. On the flip side, if someone else has a failure, comes up short at the same task, we are more likely, more willing to identify their personal shortcomings, their attributes as the reason they came up short. That's sort of a a protective mechanism. It can be hard for us to admit that we're the problem in a given situation. It's a lot easier to try to blame outside things. To blame other people, blame the situation, bad luck. It's much easier for us to, as an observer, see someone else come up short and say, well, that's because they don't have this skill or because of this attribute. That's a bias. 
And that's a bias that often impacts us. And if we can take control over that, if we can recognize that, hey, maybe I have some skills I need to develop here. Maybe there's something that I'm doing that is causing this reaction from someone else or causing a breakdown somewhere in this process. Then we take control over it. Then we can say, all right, well, these are the things I can do to get better. The next type of bias is a confirmation bias. I really think this is one of the most prevalent and most dangerous biases that's really just spread through our society, contemporary society. Confirmation bias is basically we only seek information that will help us confirm, help us prove our pre-held beliefs. And that's so easy to do in our contemporary society. We have smartphones and computers and social media. It's so easy for us to only find people, only find often self-appointed experts who are sharing information that confirms what we already felt, what we already believe. That's dangerous. If we only surround ourselves with people and information that confirms what we already thought, then we limit our growth. We limit our ability to learn. And that's a problem. And that's a big part of the division we often see represented in media that we often see between different political parties, different belief systems, is people will have a a preconceived notion about something and then surround themselves with people who are going to confirm that. So all it does is it, it causes us to dig in deeper into that preconceived notion And become unwilling to listen to other viewpoints. That's not a good thing. It's great to have convictions and beliefs. But those convictions and beliefs should be based on examination, exploration. It should help us confirm our beliefs if we're willing to listen to other sides. And decide what we truly believe instead of what we've just been exposed to. And then we dig in and and confirm, look for information that only confirms what we already thought. Another type of bias is affinity bias. And this is sometimes how we group up in those confirmation bias situations. An affinity bias is is we have a preference sometimes for people that are similar to us. That that makes sense. And that 
is something we don't always think about. That can be a very unconscious thing. I think of when I first went to play football in college and one of our first big team meetings, and this is long enough ago. It's not like how it is today where I'll see a lot of senior students who are going to college, going to live on campus, and you fill out the online thing, and you get matched with somebody that you're going to live with, and you can communicate with that people ahead of time, and you stalk them on social media. I've watched you do it in class. Back then, you might know a couple people that you met on for football, a recruiting visit or something like that, but you were kind of showing up not knowing most people. So the first day, first couple meetings, had these big team meetings, and you don't know anyone. I remember, I was certainly guilty of this, you walk into this big room and there's however many, 120 football players, whatever it is. I remember seeing people just basically go and sit down next to people who maybe looked a little bit more like them. On a college football team, we have people from all over the country, people from different racial backgrounds and belief systems and all sorts of things, social, economical status. But one of the things that it's easy to see, to identify right away, you can't walk into a room and go, this guy has similar morals that I do. This guy has similar interests. You can walk in and you can see something like skin color or the way someone dresses. And most of us in those situations just started drifting toward, okay, well, I guess I'm going to go find other people who are, you know, look like white Midwestern people. That was not a was not a conscious decision and it was made with no malice or intent towards anyone else. But I remember noting that even on those first couple of days being like, Oh, everybody kind of goes and, and just sits with people who kind of look like them initially, then things get blended together between position group and whether you played offense and defense and things like that. And that's, that's a good thing. That blending was such an important thing. And I loved, absolutely loved becoming friends with people from different cultures and backgrounds and belief systems. And that was such an enriching thing for me. But we sometimes start with that affinity bias. Well, I'm just going to find something that seems like me. There's conformity bias. This is one that I see really across the board, but it it really impacts us when we're young at the middle school, high school age, particularly where that's kind of the, the peer pressure idea where it's, I'm just, I'm going to try to conform to my peer group, even if it doesn't totally line up with what I actually say, I believe, or how I would maybe behave on my own, but I want to be part of the group. I don't want to be an outcast. So I'm going to conform. That can be a a dangerous thing too. 
where we're willing to maybe sell out our beliefs about something for acceptance. And that can lead to things like an in-group bias as well. That would be the idea of like a click. Okay, If we have an in-group bias, it means because I'm in this group, I'm more inclined to believe that the actions and thoughts and feelings of this group are correct. And by default, then the thoughts, feelings, and actions of a different group, especially an opposing group, are incorrect. And even if someone in my group does something that I would maybe otherwise think is morally apprehensible, I'll give them a pass because they're in my group and I will assume there was a good reason for it. But somebody from an outside group, if they were to do the same thing, I would condemn it. We also have contrast effect. We do this a lot. A contrast effect is when we compare two things and determine merit based on the comparison as opposed to looking at the actual attributes of that thing. So an example might be, I do something that I don't feel particularly good about. You know, I maybe said something I don't think I should have said or whatever. I, whatever the action is. I do something I don't feel particularly good about it. But then I give myself a pass by saying, well, at least I'm not as bad as this person. At least I didn't do something that bad. I didn't do something that hurtful. I didn't do something that negative. Well, that's a contrast effect. I'm letting myself off the hook by comparing myself to something that I deem to be worse as opposed to measuring my actions based on my, what I identify as my values and my beliefs. There's the overconfidence bias. Overconfidence bias is one that I think is kind of funny. There were a couple studies done by YouGov America where they surveyed people. And I don't know how many people were part of the survey, but there were some funny things that were determined. One was a look at sort of male egos, male overconfidence. And they interviewed a bunch of men. And it was like 12% of men stated they could score a point against Serena Williams in a tennis match. 12% of men, which 12% sounds like a low percentage, but that's like one in eight men surveyed said they thought they could score a point against Serena Williams in a tennis match. And it's not like they're interviewing other professional tennis players. These are just regular people. Serena Williams is a 23-time, is it, I forget what they call the, the major tournaments, like 23-time champion in those majors. Is that major champion, I think they call it? So, like, that's preposterous for most people to feel like 
they could actually score a point against Serena Williams. But that's an overconfidence bias. That some people have that disconnect. They just think, yeah, I could do that. <clears throat> Similarly, they, they followed up with a survey about people, <clears throat> men and women, fighting animals. 6% of people thought they would win a fight with a grizzly bear. 6% of people. Again, that may seem like a small percentage. And I don't know what the sample size was, but if you were to extrapolate that to everyone you meet in the world, 6% of all people is a pretty big number. And that many people are walking around thinking that if they got in a fight with a grizzly bear, this is a grizzly bear, this isn't a koala bear, a grizzly bear, they think they would win. Like they would have the ability to, I don't know, think they're going to shoot a double leg and choke out a grizzly bear. That's an overconfidence bias. And while we may not feel that same thing, we do sometimes go into situations and think, oh, I'm equipped for this. And that can be dangerous because we maybe don't do the legwork we need to to really prepare ourselves. And the last one we'll talk about, and I know this particular video has gone long, but there's a lot of things to discuss with biases, is the idea of anchoring. And anchoring is making a judgment based upon the first piece of information we're giving. This would be the idea of retailers do this all the time. They'll say the original price, the price of this thing is $100. Now it's on sale for $80. So we are more inclined to buy that thing because we think we're getting a good deal. It was $100. That's the list price. That's the first piece of information we're given. Now it's $80. It's a good deal. I'm going to buy it now. On the flip side, if we were told that, well, we could have bought this a week ago for $50, and now it's $80, we'll think, well, it's not very good. I'm not interested in buying it. The price has gone up. It's a different view of the same price point for the same item. If we knew what it take, took to manufacture, the cost it took to manufacture that piece, let's say it took $40 to manufacture it, maybe, and then we're being charged 80 probably going to be less interested because that does not seem like a very good deal. But if it was originally 100 and that's what we know about it, and then it's 80 now it seems like a, a good deal. That's a, a pretty broad and non-expert overview of biases. But I want us to think about those things, to consider the different types of biases that impact how we think and behave 
so that we can take control of our thoughts and feelings and actions. That's really the goal of all of this, is to have the tools to take control over how we learn and think and feel and grow. Until next time, much love.